it's almost like we have this service now, it's great, but it's just a fact of life that it's just part of our existence. Welcome to episode 428 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher talks with Jeff O'Neill, City Administrator of Monticello, Minnesota. Located on the banks of the Mississippi River in the east-central part of the state with a population of 14,000. Christopher and Jeff talk about FiberNet, which is owned by the city but operated in a public-private partnership. FiberNet and the city have had to weather one of the most significant price wars we've seen with the community network, spurring new investment and price cutting from big incumbent cable and telephone providers. Christopher and Jeff discuss both the costs and benefits of their efforts over the last 14 years and how it's changed the town as well as the residents and businesses in the area. Now here's Christopher talking with Jeff O'Neill. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul. And just up the road from me is Jeff O'Neill from Monticello, Minnesota. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you, Christopher. Glad to be here. So, you you have this saying that I love, but um, people who see the name of your city will often assume it's Monticello. Well, what is the story with uh, Monticello? Well, thanks for that question. Uh, now you're going to get me talking about history, which I love. The The city was settled by kind of second generation uh, Americans came across the prairie and uh, they were originally from the colonial states and they needed a, a name for their city. And they had that uh, colonial background they weren't uh, Norwegians, they weren't Germans, and they hearkened to, um, to the formation of, of, the, of the country and Jefferson, and there was a, there was a little hill on the south side of uh, the river that they looked at, and uh, little hill means Monticello in, in Italian, and it hearkened back to Jefferson. So uh, I don't know why it's Monticello versus Cello, but uh, that's kind of the, the wellspring of the name. And you've told me before that there's only one Monticello. Every other place is pronounced it the way Jefferson did. Well, you know, I don't know uh, if that's true. It seems like there's probably a geographic break somewhere, but there's 11 other Monticello or Monticellos. And I think it's a mixed bag as far oh, as okay. how they pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> So you've been the city administrator for, for 33 years and uh, just announced retirement. Congratulations on that. Um, Thanks, Christopher. Actually, uh, to clarify, I've been city administrator for about 13 years. Before that, I was community development director. But yep, total of 33 years working for the city of Monticello. It's been great and uh, looking forward to retirement. Uh, learned a lot and enjoyed uh Almost every minute of it. Well, that means that one of your early projects then was the fiber network, uh, which I believe you call FiberNet. And I, I always get confused now. Is the, is the net capitalized? Uh, actually, <laughs> uh, it, it just depends who you are. It is supposed to be capitalized. Yes. And this was a, a project that I followed very closely. Um, you've had a series of challenges. You've created a network that offers um, the best pricing in the upper Midwest for many of the years uh, of its history. Um, and, and I want to start off by asking you just to tell us what it's like right now. Like, what is the situation in Monticello with the uh, fiber network? Well, right now, it's, it, it couldn't be going better. I mean, um, obviously, um, over time, uh, the need for the internet portion of the triple play uh, has grown at, relative to the other two other functions. And it's just, it's been highly valuable to the community, of course, during COVID. But even before COVID hit, 
the uh, utilization of the system and the benefits to the community were really accruing. But of course, with COVID, it's even uh, more important. Our school district is just benefiting immeasurably. Uh, we get comments all the time from citizens that uh, are able to do their job easily, seamlessly at home. Our upload speeds are equal to our, our download speeds at one gig, 65 bucks, uh, basically covers everything, a great modem and gig service upload and download. So you can imagine that if you live uh, in Monticello, you can pretty much do your job uh, remotely um, quite seamlessly. So it's really helped um, our community and its, its members to to work and to study at home. So we're really excited about the feedback we're getting on FiberNet. And Monticello is a, is a kind of place with um, people, they tend to like to be outdoors, I think. Um, it's kind of been drawn into the orbit of Minneapolis as uh, the boundaries of the exurb sort of um, approached you. But, uh, but you have, a, I feel like, a history out there, uh, the folks in Wright County, um, of really enjoying the outdoors, um, you know, just to give people a picture of what the community's like. Well, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, Monticello is um, obviously there are commuters. It is in some sense a suburb, but we are kind of our own freestanding kind of growth area. We've had a great uh, job creation center here for many years. And as such, uh, we've had some really good land use planning around here. We've protected a lot of our open spaces, our, our green space. We have some great parks, regional parks, and there's nearby state parks. So there really isn't kind of a, a, a really strong um, orientation to the outdoors. The people that move here, many of them stay here just because of proximity to all the, the great natural resources, lakes, streams, hunting, and then, of course, the northern lakes, too. So, yeah, the, it's, it's a great area for both commerce and, and development, economic development, but also um, great amenities with the natural resources we have. The network is owned by the city, um, but it's uh, it's a public-private partnership today, and that's how it started um, what, almost 13 years ago, 11 years ago. Um, so you're working with Arvig right now. Just give us a sense of how that works out. It's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, um, Arvig came in um, to assist us with their expertise and in, in all their knowledge of uh, how to operate the system. Um, we were doing uh, fairly well operating as a city staff, city employees, but we really gain the benefit of the economy of scale by tying our you know, relationship closely to Arvig, just from their expertise and how to operate the system, but also the equipment and the other um, facilities that they have, they drove down the cost greatly because we were able to take advantage of the economy of scale. So um, we're operating much more efficiently. Our system is um, uh, getting lots of recognition from our community as far as being the, the go-to service. TDS is a competitor in town. They started here long ago and, and also Charter. They're great services as well, but we we certainly get a lot. There's a lot of input saying, you know, if you want really good internet service, FiberNet's the way to go. And a lot of that's to the credit of Arvig. So um, we'd like to uh, make sure that uh, everyone's really aware of, of how great a job they've been doing for our citizens. TDS um, will forever be stuck in my head as a, a company that it's, it's nice of you to say that they're offering high quality services. I know they've upgraded a lot. Um, when the city originally went to the voters um, to have a referendum to gain the authority to build the network, I know 
TDS opposed it and said that their DSL was was perfectly fine. Um, and memorably in my mind, <laughs> they then went on to talk about how um, if you built a network, then they would have less incentive to upgrade their network because of the competition. And they said that while they were rat- while they were rapidly upgrading their network, <laughs> and I will forever that was the beginning I think of my incredible frustration with news reporters who would say things who would reprint that and say you know in one sentence they would say TDS is investing a lot of money to upgrade their network to a higher quality um, you know to fiber optics in order to compete. They also say they have less incentive to upgrade their network because of the competition. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, how do you print these things? They're not diametrically opposed. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's just, um, if we go back and just do the sort of the, the 90 second history. Um, as you just noted, you have a network that is really great now, but I'll forever remember the Minnesota Public Radio story interviewing local businesses in the um, 2006, 2007 era, I think. Maybe it was even 2009, and people were just recalling that time in the late um, aughts when uh, businesses had to send people home to work from home, not because of a pandemic, <laughs> but just because they, they could not get good enough broadband um, at, for their locations. Well, yeah, and uh, try to keep it to 90 seconds, but that was really kind of the, the start of everything. Um, the city's push to install uh, modern fiber telecommunications really sprung from our business community and citizens who were frustrated with having no voice and no opportunity, uh, no leverage to get our local provider to step up and provide what everyone knew was going to be essential service in the future. So... Um, it should be clear to everyone that the city Monticello didn't want to get into it just on a whim. We were responding to our community's need. And um, to the credit of our city council and the leadership at that time, we, they, they persevered and they pressed forward. Um, we did give the opportunity uh, to Charter and TDS to, to step in, fill the void, please help us out here. And um, that fell upon deaf ears. So with that, the council said, okay, well, we're going to look at uh, trying to build it ourselves, And we pushed forward as part of that. There was a, a vote on whether or not to install the switch to kind of kick off the, the project or the incentive for the city council. That was a resounding yes, go ahead, council, you're on the right track. And then we spent six months defining what the system was gonna look like. Um, what's the operation management team gonna look like? How's the fiber system going to be built? The technical sides of things. Right. Hand in hand with a, with a private company you're going to be working with. Right. With Hiawatha Broadband. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the governance model? So we basically, you know, we looked at other systems in, in, the, um, in the country as well. From, with that, then we went forward and um, submitted a uh, proposal to the um, bond market, to the, to the investors and the investment community. And um, lo and behold, there were funds that came, came forward that way. Um, the city was then, um, you know, we're ready to start, start the plows, get it, get it installed. And then the lawsuit hit with NTDS saying, well, you know, the city, you're not authorized to use this sort of revenue, um, bond for this type of project. Therefore, um, we're going to, we're going to protest this. So eventually Mm -hmm. we worked our way through that. And, um, well, let me just, let me jump in for a second. I mean, 
I think I don't I think people should appreciate how frivolous this lawsuit was. Um the courts dealt with it as quickly as they could. Um they it was it was dis, it was dismissed with uh, prejudice. It um it basically said that you couldn't do this thing that um that several other cities had already done and actually it, it proposed the theory under which you would not be able to use some of the revenue proceeds in a way that almost all revenue bonds are used for. Um and so there was no merit to it. It was an opportunity for TDS to to try to come in and beat you to the market with uh, better services. And magnanimously, you offered to do joint trenching when you recognized that you would both be installing in order that you right. could both save money. And they turned you down. Um, so, you know, and I, and it's not to say that, that we're, I'm not sitting here saying TDS is an evil company. TDS was, was reacting in a way to defend um, their market um, in ways that uh, were certainly, I would say, I might think of it as abusive, but they were within the law. <laughs> um, right. But they certainly caused a lot of problems for you, um, and um, and nonetheless, you did you persevered. Well, yeah, and thank you. And that your recollection is spot on on that. We persevered. Uh, the city council, even though TDS started their system while they were holding us up in court on the system, they said they weren't going to build. Um, we persevered, and um, we ended up building it. And you know, the rest is history. There's uh, the good news was the pricing and, and the service level for our community uh, just improved immeasurably. In fact, the pricing went way lower than anyone expected, where uh, um, the TDS and charter pricing was unbelievable and the service was much <laughs> better. Um, it And everyone was somewhat happy in the fact that uh, now we have three systems in our community, all of which are providing really good service um, at a very, very low price. Of course, the flip was that on that was because the pricing went so low, much lower than we expected from the competition, then our revenue stream wasn't as good as what we had hoped for at the beginning. So, but again, we persevered. It may not make you feel better, but to this day, that is still the most extreme version of predatory pricing that I have seen um, in all of the systems that we've seen responses where there's a, a decrease in rates. Um, Ars Technica covered us back in, I want to say 2009, something like that. Charter was going around and cutting people from a product that costs $150 a month to, I believe, $60 a month for a two-year guaranteed contract with every channel on the system. I mean, anywhere else in the state where Charter operated, that was $150 a month. And they cut that down so low. I mean, we we have, we estimated that your community, which is not very large, was saving well in excess of a, of a million dollars per year in aggregate because of this of the the crazy low rates. And then that certainly made it very difficult for you and HBC to add customers. Um, right. And so again, if I, if I just jump ahead a little bit, I know then there was some friction because of that stress that TDS and charter were putting on you. Um, I mean, at the time there was, there was very few places in the United States where you had three advanced broadband networks competing. Um, it's a, it was a place where you had two fiber to the home networks competing. Um, it was incredibly rare and the stress it put on your relationship with HBC was, was just tremendous. Um, and so that ended up fracture, ended up fracturing and, um, and you had to move ahead with uh, finding a different partner. That was difficult. The city council at that time elected to um, uh, not pay on the revenue bond um, because mm-hmm. we didn't have a revenue coming in due to that pricing scenario that was undercutting our ability to really gain customers. And, you know, with that, 
revenue bond. It, it didn't have the full faith and credit behind it. We were paying a high interest rate. There was a risk associated with that. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we were able to settle that out with the investors um, in an amicable way. But uh, yeah, in that uh, tumult, um, HBC and the city, you know, relationship changed and then the city moved on to find another provider for the service and um, ultimately which led to eventually getting Arvig to help us out so yeah it was a a difficult time of transition but um, during that time period we had liquor store funds that we had uh, saved over time and um, those funds were used to help support the system as we kind of came out of this um, period of, of really strong competition I think it's worth worth noting um, when this happens, there's uh, often a, a real focus on the city's borrowing rating. And um, Monticello has um, demonstrated again to the market that it is well worth um, a, a good investment, I believe. What's uh, what's your rating today for um, your credit rating? The exact rating, um, not off the top of my head. I know that that we did did receive a small decrease um, uh, however, that decrease, uh, we're still high, really good risk, even with the decrease that occurred with the uh, the revenue bond issue. Um, and then a few years later, I think maybe about a year, year and a half ago, our bond rating went back up to where it was prior to FiberNet. So we're back to where we were. And it was very, it was a relatively small step down and a small step back up. So um, the the problem with the revenue bond and everything that went to it, I don't want to understate it or overstate it. It just was what it was, but it didn't really have a deleterious effect on our city's ability to finance and borrow and really was kind of a relatively non-issue on the big picture of things. Right. I mean, this is this is why when you issue an unbacked bond, it's expected that the investors know what they're getting into because they yeah. do not have that full faith and credit guarantee. Um, so um, is the network now fully paying for itself? Well, right now we're actually, um, you know, we're in the black. We're, we're, um, we're, we're making money. Our operations expenses are less than the revenues coming in at this point. At the current time, I think we we cleared working with Arvig in the neighborhood of two hundred eighty thousand dollars on the good side for the year, mm-hmm. and of that, you know, Arvig gets gets a substantial portion. That's just the city's surplus or profit for the year. Arvig gets about the same amount as well as a service provider, so they're getting the benefit of their good service by you know adding the customers and by also adding. They're they're utilizing our network very effectively by helping local businesses um, communicate to satellite offices and so on. Um, We're getting revenue coming in for that utilization of the dark fiber and other um, aspects of our network on a lease basis that help supplement uh, the subscriptions that come in. So because of Arvig and their connections with the outside world and the network that they have that can feed our system we've been able to gain revenue um, from companies that are leasing our facilities and providing communications to their employees and to their and to their um, different um, satellite branch offices and so on that's been a, one of the major um, sunny spots here for for the system is Arvig's ability to use our system in ways that a city might uh, independently have more difficulty taking advantage of Yes. Yeah, I think that's why you want to work with a with a, a local company that um, has experience in that sort of a thing. 
Um, I feel like talking about the finances is, is something we have to do. It's like eating your vegetables. Um, you know, like people, right. people want to know that, but that's not why you spent so much of your time figuring out how to make this network work. Um, you know, this is so that you could focus on the spreadsheets. It's, it's an essential part of it, but, um, but what are some of the things that are, that make you really glad that you've gone through that? Um, you know, how has it benefited the community? You have aspirations for creating employment. You have aspirations for um, keeping costs low, keeping service up. The the satisfaction's really coming from just knowing that we've achieved the mission of providing choice in the community, that we're poised to provide the service that's just absolutely essential at an economical rate, and that... Um, you know, the, the potential of each family, the potential of our school, the potential of our businesses, all are better better served, better actualized by being able to communicate so quickly and efficiently and seamlessly. We're already taking this for granted, okay? So when you ask me, it's almost like we have this service now, it's great, but it's just a fact of life that that's just part of our existence. And when I think about other communities and our, our neighbors that are just across the river and in the in the areas adjacent to Monticello, they're still struggling with getting these services. So yeah, I wonder I wonder about that if you think about like Annandale and Buffalo and, and some of these places that they may even have a larger population base. Um, um, you know, right. they, they don't have the same kinds of services. Well, in some of the uh, the areas in the township areas or some of these uh, large lot subdivisions, they're um, they're part of our school district, yet they don't get the same service for their students as city residents do. So there's a little local divide there mm. as well. We're really glad that we're not in that situation anymore, but also frustrated that our ability to help even those in our school district is somewhat limited by the, uh, you know, by by the capital needs that are required to get get services out there. But it's not something that's lost on Harvig. I think they are trying to do what they can to to connect our our local community members that don't live actually in the city of Monticello. I'm curious about uh, smart city type applications. Is there any is the city doing anything with uh, with the network that it may not have been if you were still leasing circuits? Um, to be honest, you know, we have not looked at as much as probably we should have by now. I think we've got our hands full with lots of other topics in in our uh, local local government and things that we're trying to achieve. What, you have competing challenges? What is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of stuff to do. But, I mean, I think we – I mean, I wish we were a Chattanooga. I mean, they've got such a wellspring of, of intellect and a larger community with – uh, more resources in terms of methods and ways to deploy these technologies in a way that really help their community. We're just scratching the surface on that right now. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that will come in time. But at this point, I think just providing the basic strong bread and butter internet service um, to our local departments and utilization of our um, our data and GIS and all that, we're, we're not doing anything that much more sophisticated than any other city. But I know that we're being able to do it more seamlessly because of our connectivity. Do you, do you know, let me just quiz you quick. Off the top of your head, do you have a sense of about how many FTEs Monticello has uh, full-time employment? People? You mean as far as the community itself? Yeah, or? like the police officers, everything. Do you have a sense of? I mean, it's around 85 to 100, depending right. 
who you call, but you know, that's yeah. So, that. I mean, what you were just saying, I think it's worth noting like the, the, um, the power, um, board, the electric power board in Chattanooga has more than 400 FTEs alone for, right. you know, doing, uh, doing the services that they provide. Um, and so I, I, I think it's worth noting, you know, do you have a sense of advice for other communities that are Monticello's size? Um, how do you prioritize trying to figure out how to handle economic development opportunities and smart city opportunities and things like that? I mean, you can't just task five people to go off and do it. You, um, you have to operate more lean than that. So do you have any advice for others that are wading into this? That's really a good question. I think, you know, one of the things, you know, we could have done is work a little bit harder in um, identifying the fiber uh, tools that are available through TDS, through through FiberNet, um, to make sure that anyone that's looking at Monticello has not just one option, but they have two, which actually turns out to be a good thing because now when you when you set your company in Monticello, you've got a you got a fiber backup because no fiber no telecommunication company can say that they're going to stay up and operational 100% of the time, but many of these businesses need 100%. Um, operation. So if you have a backup um, available, um, that that's that's huge. That's a huge selling point for for our community. So I think in the future, you know, we're going to be touting the presence of two systems in our community as being very beneficial. And, you know, I think in addition to that, um, we need to do a better job advertising the functionality and the speeds and the benefits. Um, we do have a number of um, folks that are programmers that provide coding services to to others from remotely, and they just love Monticello because they can upload huge files, and it just works great for them. And they just scratch their heads wondering why we don't get the word out more because there's a lot <laughs> more people in the world that can do that, and that we would we probably should have a bigger community of those sorts of um, talented people um, working from their homes. So. It's like it's almost like well we've got it now we like it our community likes it um, that's enough mm -hmm. um, but really it isn't enough you know we need to um, sing the praises a little bit more as to the functionality and benefits of being here yeah and I, I feel like you also described that you know as a city administrator you need to have thick skin um, and so you know despite the fact that you've had differences with TDS you need to make sure that you have a good relationship with them moving forward because it is in the best interests of the community that TDS feels welcomed to invest in those industrial sites and things like that. Um, and so I can imagine that can be challenging for some personality types. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, and, you know, it's true. Um, they are a member of our community and um, we have to treat them as a member of the community. Well, at the same time, um, there is a level of competition. So, you know, we're trying to walk that fine line, being respectful of, uh, of their efforts and to, to um, treat them um, in, in proper way. I mean, you can imagine we, when um, they were building their network um, while they were holding us up in court, we had to properly go through all their applications for right of way um, mm -hmm. permits and, and allow them and to work with them, helping them with their, with their fiber deployment while they're holding us up in court on our fiber deployment. So, you know, hopefully we, we, we did that um, fairly and properly. And, um, 
uh, were respectful and, and did everything in, in uh, upstanding fashion in that regard. So as we're wrapping up, I, I think we want to make a, a clarification just so people have a sense of the, the picture. Um, one is that um, of the money that's coming in from Arvig that's above the operating costs, um, some of that money is still being used to expand the network um, over time for future opportunities, uh, new subdivisions and things like that. Um, right? Um, that's correct. That's correct. And then um, on top of that, the the debt that had been used to to uh, build the network, that um, where you came to an agreement with the bondholders to uh, reduce that because of the challenges the network faced, um, you are still paying for that, and the net income at the end of the day uh, from the network is still is still less than the amount of uh, that you're paying on the debt, and so um, your your operating expense in expanding positive, but the network is not generating enough revenue to pay for all the debt yet that's correct that would be a good sum up on that thanks Chris. yeah no and i think you know it's interesting because i just did a i just recorded a session with ernie statton from fairlawn who don't look down on him he's an assistant city manager uh, <laughs> ernie's a great guy he's he's built a fiber network in fairlawn a, a community that's um it's on the outskirts of akron it's not super dissimilar from yours. And from mm-hmm. the beginning, they said this network is not expected to pay for itself solely out of its revenues. It's essential infrastructure for the community. Um, and so, you know, I think we're going to see more and more places that rather than playing this game of of what can we build solely um, justified by the revenues will change and communities will do more of what you've done, which is to say, you know what, we're going to eat this cost in whatever way we can. But this is really important for our tax base. It's important for our residents we need to do it yeah and i mean the playing field is a lot different this year you know now than it was before i mean the triple play is no longer important at the time Mm -hmm. you really needed telephony and you needed to have uh you know the content through a cable type service and now um just building a purely internet based system is much less expensive much simpler and probably achievable um for many communities and the, the trade-off of maybe having to make this capital expense and then getting this way better service and, and improved pricing is really there. I mean, the net money that the city's expending as a community is equal or drops and the service level becomes way better. So, I mean, there really is uh, probably some opportunity for many cities out there that feel that a monopoly might be exploitive um, that they need to step in and take care of their own and um, take a responsibility for helping their citizens and their business community as opposed to continuing on with, uh, you know, with, with only a single choice and, and mm-hmm. a monopoly situation. Well, and these, these analyses are tough. But from what I could tell, and I looked very seriously at your network over several different periods, I think the hardest year that you had where you had the highest costs it still looked to me like the, the the residents made out so much better off cumulatively. The amount of money that you had to spend from the liquor store fund and things like that was dwarfed by the amount of money that was saved in aggregate by the low prices. That's money that often went back into the local economy and then came back to you in greater taxes. So, you know, these these analyses are difficult. And I and I think it's important that, that people recognize we need these networks, particularly in 2020 now. Um, and so we shouldn't dwell on, on, on who sets, you know, the expectations of, of how we pay for them necessarily. Like these things can change over time. Right. 
Yeah, and thank you for that. I mean, that that really is how, how things played out and how things are today. I mean, it, it did take perseverance. It did take uh, investment and a risk. But as you noted, uh, in the long run, uh, the total expenditure from the citizens ends up being less. And uh, yeah, you had to subsidize it with liquor funds um, to get there. But um, I mean, I tell people that um, go ahead, if you want to use TDS, that's fine. They're a good service, but make sure you shop at the liquor store to help offset uh, <laughs> the need for uh, helping subsidize the system. But now the subsidy is not nearly as important because it's running leaner and we're getting lots of good revenue. So um, we're working we're working well with, with our other providers in, in making Monticello a great place. Let's end with a, um, an exhortation for a shared passion that you and I have. Uh, people should go out and support women's soccer. <laughs> um, you know, Absolutely. the Minnesota Loons are great. We're both fans, Minnesota United, fight, um, Minnesota United Football Club, but uh, we also want to support uh, the Women Gophers um, uh, women's soccer program, all of the other college soccer programs. It's great entertainment, um, and I think they're often overlooked. So um, let's support them. Well, I concur. Uh, it's it's just a beautiful game. Uh, it's elegantly played by um, the ladies soccer players at, at with the Gophers and other Big Ten, and even the small colleges as well, the MIC, and uh, uh, you know the other colleges that are out there. High school, it's a great sport for women. And uh, with Christopher and I have tracked, I have a daughter that played and I coached, and. Uh, that's great sports. So don't get me going on soccer. <laughs> right. We may not have a lot of options this fall, but we might have an unexpected bounty in the spring of, right. of those exactly. sorts of sports. So. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. You're very welcome, Christopher. And That was Christopher talking with Jeff O'Neill, City Administrator of Monticello, Minnesota. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 428 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>